You've had 20 years to make your move. What can exactly make my move when I was seven? Then you've had 10 years. Exactly right, but... No, so... I have been waiting half my life for you to wake up and love me. Having loved you for half a lifetime, I realised when you left that I had made a bad choice doing that. And now it's got even trickier because... <laughs> when you were playing in pubs, we were the perfect match, but now... I'm an actual school teacher in actual Lowestoft, and you're the world's greatest singer-songwriter. No, I'm not. Except that you probably are. Welcome to Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. Join me, your host, Sam Wiles, as we discover the history, the music, and the man behind it all, Paul McCartney. To get in contact with the show, email us at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Welcome to another episode of Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. I am, of course, your host, Sam Wiles, and we are going to be reviewing the summer rom-com of 2019, Danny Boyle's Yesterday, starring Himesh Patel, Lily James, and, of course, the music of the Beatles, or lack thereof, should I say. Yes, hello there, everyone. Welcome back to the show. This is going to be a rather impromptu recording and a kind of bonus episode of our bonus episode series. So our film review side series is one of the many little diversions this show has. And that's been focusing on the movies that Paul obviously was involved in. This is supposedly a Paul McCartney podcast. And whilst I do not know the specifics of Paul McCartney's involvement in Danny Boyle's Yesterday... It obviously still makes for fitting content on this show. The Beatle Buzz is back here in the UK, and I am, of course, reveling in every single second of it. It's great to have the Beatles on the radio again. It's great to have celebrities on the TV and people in the news and the media talking about the Beatles once more. The Beatles are on the front cover everywhere on posters. Ah... This is probably 0.01% of what it must have felt like to be alive in 1965 or something. One of the other supposed predicates of this show, though, is that I've been going through Paul McCartney's discography and filmography without having a prior encyclopedic knowledge of the entirety of it. And even to this day, some 50 episodes into this podcast, I have made little effort to become a Paul McCartney completionist. I do like to try and keep the... The experience of hearing this music for the first time, seeing these films for the first time as real and tangible for you, the listener, as well as me, the content creator, as possible. Even right up to the present day, the first time I heard Egypt Station for the first time did indeed have its own magic. So the idea of going into any Beatle content completely blind is something that I can only recommend and it is something that I'm going to certainly keep up with no matter how I feel about yesterday. Now, with this film side series, we've only actually reviewed Beatles films so far and uh, Rock Show, that was kind of out of order. And all of those films so far, I've been more than familiar with. However, in a little bit of a change, in a little way to mix things up, the gimmick that is today's episode is that it's actually going to be recorded in two parts. And this part, the part that you are listening to right now, is the virginal part of the show. Because this is the part of the show where I am talking about the film yesterday without having seen the film yesterday. No, in a rather strange 180 shift of character, I have not seen any of the surrounding promotional content for this movie. So I'm going to do this little introduction now, have a guess as to what I think the film's going to be about and what's going to happen, where it's going to go. And then for part two, I'm going to come back after having actually seen the film and give you one of my notoriously rambly hot takes. So what do I know? Well, I know for a fact that this is going to be a film about a guy who 
knows the Beatles and he's a struggling busker and one day he wakes up and suddenly he's the only guy on earth who knows about the Beatles. So if I know anything about these kind of whimsical adventures, there's probably going to be some sort of Aladdin type story here. Like he's definitely going to rise to the top with all of this Beatle material and then he's probably not going to be able to handle the fame or he's going to feel guilty because he's, deep, you know, deep down he's a good man and he can't take credit for these songs or back up the experiences that made them or maybe, you know, the lies are going to start crumbling around him and he's going to be brought down to rock bottom. And this is not because I've seen any of the stuff surrounding the film. This is just me taking a basic guess as to what's going to happen based on who is involved and the tone that I can kind of gauge around the buzz and what I do know about this film. Because when I say that I've seen none of the promotional stuff around this film, I, I mostly mean the trailers, because it is the trailers that give most of this stuff away, because there are things in life that I can't avoid. And honestly, folks, I did try to make this gimmicky segment of the show as pure as possible, but uh, alas, I failed. Yes, I've seen posters, I know the film's premise, and I've heard of all the buzz, but I've not actually sat down and watched the trailer for this film, which is actually a huge thing for me personally. I mean, I can re remember when Jurassic World came out, and with all the trailers, clips, and behind-the-scenes docs, I think I may have seen, like, half the actual film before it actually came out. So I am looking forward to giving you, like, out there, my hot take on this film once I am fresh and out of the cinema. This is actually the first time I'm going to a film where I'm actually taking a notepad and paper as well, which is going to be a rather surreal experience. But yeah, Yesterday. This is, is a film that I, I heard of maybe a couple of years ago. I know that there was a supposed Danny Boyle Beatles project that was floating about, but then it went quiet for a while. And then, bam, the trailers came for this. And I remember thinking then, right... I'm going to create content for the podcast and I'm not going to watch the trailers for this. Yes, it was that cynical. Um, it's weird that nothing would have changed in the world without the Beatles. That is a part of the premise that I'm a little concerned about because this concept is so far-reaching and so expansive. You could do a whole Netflix series on this and I'm surprised it isn't part of a more streamable experience. Culture, culture would be inconceivably different without the Beatles, wouldn't it? I mean, they affected everything in Western culture for like 10 years and longer. Fashion would be different. Film would be different. Politics would be different. Culture as a whole would be different without the Beatles. And the butterfly effect of that would, would have ripples that would be almost impossibly difficult to portray on screen. It would almost be a sci-fi adventure and the budget would be much bigger than what it is. You know, I think part of you know, the only thing being different about this universe is that he remembers the Beatles, is that it, it, it does make it easier to film. I do feel like it's going to be a pretty standard affair. I'm not expecting anything crazy about this. It is a Danny Boyle film, though, and I'm a huge Danny Boyle fan on average, but there are two types of Danny Boyle. The first makes 20 Days Later, Sunshine, Shallow Grave, Steve Jobs, Train Spotting, these really high concept yet gritty and earnest films that are always bursting with creativity both on the screen as well as behind it and then there's the other type of Danny Boyle that spawns things like Millions and most famously Slumdog Millionaire which won all the awards and he's basically Boyle's most sentimental over-the-top rose-tinted doughy-eyed feeding of the 5,000 that just panders to every single cinematic trope and obviously it won hearts and minds, but do people really remember Slumdog Millionaire? Is that, wasn't it kind of like the avatar of rom-coms? You know, it was a bit of a flash in the pan. And I am worried that yesterday is going to be the latter half. It's a rom-com. It looks like it's going to be really happy. And the only thing that, that is kind of making me, you know, stay the course and get fully behind this is the fact that Richard Curtis is, is involved. And I have pretty much loved everything Curtis has ever done. Just his entire back catalogue is astoundingly both consistent and impactful. He's basically one of the few household name film slash TV writers in the UK, if there are any. You know, from his seminal TV shows like Blackadder, Mr Bean, The Vicar of Dibley, to all of his holiday family favourite film projects. Films he wrote like the first Bridget Jones film, Notting Hill, Love Actually. And through those projects, he's shaped vast swaths of 
British pop culture for well over 30 years now, and his directorial efforts, whilst not having the far-reaching, culturally impacting appeal of his written projects, have actually, in my opinion, obviously in that wonderfully hipster contrarian way, have proven to be his most mature, well-written and thought-provoking material. There was the incredibly quirky and kitsch pirate radio comedy, The Boat That Rocked, and About Time, which is basically the low-key best rom-com of the last 10 years. Those two films are, you know, top-notch Brit material as well. He does stay within his genres, though. You know, you do know what you are getting in for. He knows what he's known for. He does it well, and he makes a consistent shit ton of money doing it. I'm not expecting any risky narratives or atypical character moments with yesterday. We're in for smiles, whimsy, possibly a couple of tragic strokes like he hit with us in about time. Some cute leads are going to have banter. There'll be a quirky side character that steals the show and gets all the quotes. And as with all British films, the Americans won't get it. I have no idea who the lead is, actually, speaking of that. Though leads in Richard Curtis films will do well to come across as anything other than oh, oh so very... Very charming, Bridget. And whilst it is actually nice to not only go to see a movie that I know very little about, but also go see a film with a lead that I've never heard of before, I still admittedly am kind of prone to wincing at guitar playing and people singing and busking in movies as... Basically, it reminds me of how little I play guitar and how bad I am as a result. Lily James, on the other hand the co-lead, the quote-unquote love interest, as these films I want to have, is an actress I've always liked. My mum is obsessed with both Baby Driver and Downton Abbey, so her name is a common one in my house. And she's due one of these kind of big, romantic, summer rom-com type of roles. You know, she's been a princess one year, she's been in an action film the next year, and now she's done the rom-com. It's the big three. And I'm sure she'll be suitably wonderful with a Richard Curtis script behind her. Story-wise, since it's Curtis doing a hero's arc slash three-act structure, there's probably going to be something along the lines of him having to choose between the Beatles and Lily James, or he will lose Lily James, and through giving up the Beatles music, or through you know putting the world back the way it was, he will get the girl somehow still in the end. You know, There's obviously going to be some sort of consequence for having the entire Beatles back catalogue in your possession. Hopefully they will be together at the end cut to a hard day's night something like that and when i'd say cut to a hard day's night i am talking about the fact that there's going to be a real jukebox of beatles one in this movie there's not going to be anything challenging there aren't going to be any deep cuts or cold cuts here don't expect for you blue or i'll be back again or chains or anything like that this is made for joe blogs and harry everyman so we're going to have I Want to Hold Your Hand, Hey Jude, She Loves You, I Am the Walrus, Get Back, Penny Lane, Strawberry Fields, Eleanor Rigby, Something, Here Comes the Sun, Come Together, all the obvious numbers. And you know what? Maybe if you play the film backwards, you'll hear Hey Bulldog, who knows? I know it sounds horrendously snobby, but hopefully for you people listening to a Paul McCartney podcast, you know, hopefully you'll be leaning towards this opinion as well. I think as as any Beatle fan who is, you know, ardent and, and, and knows their stuff and knows the material, just like, you know, oh so many poor Beatle films of the past and middle of the road Beatle museums and piss poor tribute bands the references and the history and the music choices done without that prestige will just come across as obvious cloying and even sometimes cringeworthy so am i looking forward to this film i am looking forward to seeing a beatle film i am excited that the beatles are part of the pop culture conversation again and to be a part of that is going to be interesting I'm not sure about the, the United States or the rest of Europe, but over the last few months, this film has been receiving a huge promotional push from Universal to try and revive that trope of the classic British runaway summer rom-com smash hit. You know, Notting Hill, also written by Curtis, was the biggest film of 1998 in the UK, I think. So there is a feeling that you know, possibly through Curtis, Danny Boyle and the Beatles together, they can truly make a smash hit that's not part of some sort of massive comic book, sci-fi or fantasy franchise. That would be interesting. 
I'm not sure that's going to happen. I haven't heard that, that this film's been a runaway smash hit critically or commercially yet. That is yet to be seen. DVD sales also can determine whether a film is a true classic or not, or whether it resonates with people. But I'm sure it was, it's going to do the numbers here in the UK. You know, everyone knows about this movie, not just Beatle fans, but, you know, everyone, young and old, people who do care about films, people who don't care about films. At least everyone in England is going to see this movie at some point, even if it's on Christmas Day in, say, two years' time, maybe even Boxing Day or something like that. In fact, so many people have seen posters for this film that have been plastered across this great nation of ours on buses, on walls, on passing children. They've seen that poster and gone, you know, God bless them on their part. They've gone, oh, Sam, I'm really unique, and I bet no one else has asked you this, but did you know that there's a new Beatle film out? And, you know, I in return politely say, no, I didn't. I'm the host of the 84th best podcast on Paul McCartney and spend every spare second of my free time writing crap on McCartney and the Beatles alike. And yet, funnily enough, I did not know about this film. Thank you for letting me know. So, yeah, this film is really going to be getting a monkey off my back. I mean, this whole not viewing the trailer thing was really starting to get ridiculous up until now, I've been assaulted with TV ads, Google ads, Facebook ads, Instagram ads that play clips of the film without your control, trailers in other films that I've seen at the cinema, and, you know, I think even Danny Boyle knocked on my door at one point just, like, trying to scream the plot to me. But, yeah, hopefully it will have been worth it. Now, I'm going to go see yesterday. I'm going to absorb it. I'm going to be frantically writing notes and probably not enjoying the film because of it. But, hey, let's give it a shot. And I'll be reporting back here to let you know my thoughts on the film, the writing, the cinematography, the acting, the overall feeling I had from what is either going to be a charming rom-com or a horribly schmoozy love fest that is exploiting the Beatles' music for terrible nostalgic purposes. You know, hopefully my horribly cynical outlook on life won't be too much of an issue here. But before I cut to the live feed, I cannot help but do a little bit of housekeeping before we start this. Please, let me know what you think of this film. I would love to read out some detailed reviews of this release for our next episode. What did you think of Danny Boyle's 13th cinematic release? Send me an email today about yesterday to paulmcarnipod at gmail.com. That is the best way to get in contact with the show. And obviously you can send an email about anything. What is your Paul McCartney story? Maybe you just want to say hi, possibly even your own music review, anything at all. I love reading out the correspondence on this show. Nothing to read out this week either. Get on it, folks. The quickest way to get in contact and stay up to date with the show is through our Twitter, which is at McCartneyPod. Find us on Facebook and YouTube by typing in Paul McCartney Podcast or Paul or Nothing. Follow our blog where you can find all of our latest articles, you know, just kind of stuff I can't quite fit into episodes on the show or stuff that one day did become an episode for the show and you can see the birth of where those episodes came from. Our most recent episode is on two-part McCartney songs where I dissect and review my favourite examples of Paul in his delightfully sentimental Frankenstein way, stitching two songs together and you can find that at paulmccartneypod.wordpress.com that's paulmccartneypod.wordpress.com leave us a five star iTunes review which many of you have been doing and please keep up that effort every single five star review gives us an incomprehensible boost in our analytics and in the algorithms on iTunes and gives us that exposure that we oh so desperately need thank you for that and finally you can help support the show directly through our Patreon page. Obviously, I've explained Patreon several times by now. You must all know what it is. It is the way that you can help support independent shows, such as this one, for example, by donating, you know, something as low as a dollar a month. A couple of people are donating $5 a month to help keep the show ad-free and to help me fund certain projects for the show. For example, this very episode is funded through funds generated by our Patreon supporters, so thank you oh so much to them. This episode would not have been possible without them. The ticket that I am getting for yesterday has been paid for with our Patreon funds. So thank you very much. Also, a brand new mic is on the way. Thanks to our Patreon supporters as well. So the show will literally be sounding better thanks to them very soon. You might think many, many, many people are already donating to the show, but we only have 
less than 10 supporters on our Patreon right now. So if you think that everyone else is doing the work for you, you know, be that one person that can help the show grow. Even if it's just $1 a month, I would be forever in your debt. But I'm not going to sit here all day trying to pander for our Patreon audience. I can only say thank you to those people out there who are already supporting the show through our Patreon. And I can only encourage every one of you out there to do the same. So I'm actually going to go now and put that Patreon money to good use. I'm going to go see yesterday on your fair dollar. Thank you very much, folks. Wish me luck and let's hope it's a good one, eh? Yesterday, Ellie bought you a present. All my troubles seem wow. so far away. Now it seems as though they're here to stay. Oh, I believe in yesterday. Suddenly, I'm not half the man I used to be. There's a shadow hanging over me. Oh, yesterday came suddenly Why she had to go I don't know, she wouldn't say I said something wrong Now I long for yesterday Why did you write that? I didn't write it. Paul McCartney wrote it. The Beatles. Who? John, Paul, George and Ringo, the Beatles. No. Stop it. Yesterday. It's one of the greatest songs ever written. Well, it's not Coldplay. It's not Fix You. Hello, hello, hello everyone and welcome to the second live-ish segment of the show. Yes, I have now seen Danny Boyle's slash Richard Curtis's yesterday and I've had a few minutes now to jot down some of my thoughts because, of course, I obviously left my notepad in my garage. So, whilst my ability to recall everything I thought during that movie has been diminished somewhat, at least I wasn't spending the entire screening scribbling little notes away and my attention was fully on the film, so I was more easily able to be lost in this fabtastical adventure. First thoughts? Well, folks, I am glad to report that my opinion on this one is mostly positive and that I walked away from this film feeling like I got exactly what you guys paid for. Again, thank you to all of my Patreon supporters who made this episode possible, and thank you for allowing me to gush in a bit of good old-fashioned rom-com pandering, mixed in with some Beatles pandering, mixed in with some rags-to-riches pandering, along with a large Pepsi and popcorn. Thank you very much. I cannot thank you guys enough. And who knows what Patreon-sponsored content will be in the future. Keep your eyes and ears peeled for that one. But overall, yesterday was a very fun experience. You know, even despite the fact that this was a mid-Tuesday afternoon screening, it was a packed theatre, and the crowd were well up for it. And like them, I was along for the ride from the get-go. I allowed the, the film to have its way with me to a certain degree, and I'd be interested to see how well this film stands up on repeated viewings. But... If you go along for the ride, you are definitely going to get so much enjoyment out of this film. It's a definite family Sunday film kind of watch. You know, you can definitely imagine being cuddled up on the sofa with this one. The film does have the coveted approval and thumbs up from the two existing Beatles and the two past Beatles estates. That's very good. But does it have the thumbs up from Paul or nothing? And ooh, I can feel that my negatives are... Uh, you know, that I feel about this film are going to take 10 times longer to explain. So I'm, I'm just going to say right now, overall, I liked yesterday. Two thumbs up, the full package. The sum of the film's parts are admittedly better than the final product, but when this film is working, it, it absolutely fires on all cylinders and delivers exactly what you want as an audience member. I cannot deny that. Though what I will say is that it isn't anything that we all weren't collectively as a unit expecting this film to be. 
You know, this isn't fucking the usual suspects. This is a Beatles rom-com. And that's okay. It's a very good film. But, you know, very good isn't great. And there are going to be some niggly issues that we can get into later on. And if we're going to break things down to a little soundbite or a tagline for the poster, I will, of course, 100% encourage you as an audience to go out there and see this movie on the big screen. But you've definitely got to go in with the right mindset. It's like many Paul McCartney albums we've had on this podcast before. You've definitely got to be in the right mindset when going into this. Do not expect a great revelatory experience or the greatest Beatles film of all time or the greatest rom-com of all time. And its goals really are not that lofty. It is somewhat middle of the road. It's not setting out to redefine the cinematic landscape or anything like that. And if you go in with anything other than a cheeky, feel-good film in mind, then you're definitely going to be disappointed. Of course, if you are a fan of the Beatles at any level of fandom, there is going to be something in this film for you. Obviously, it was made with a love and affection for the band and music in general. And we do get, of course, that wonderful jukebox of the Beatles' greatest hits. I think I guessed correctly every single song that did appear in this movie. Though the fact that it ends with a sing-along version of Obladi Obladar could only endear it to my heart. Oh my gosh, that was such a fantastic little moment in the, in the movie. It was one of those great bits that is designed to kind of make you forget about things that you might have had issues with in the film. And it did work to some degree, but fortunately I've had time to let the Obladi Obladar effect subside somewhat. And that is the thing. The longer I sit here germinating, the more I do start to realise that, that the film's positives really are on the surface level. Because when you start to pick apart yesterday in the way that only overtly critical, cynical, boring people like me tend to do, you realise that this is probably not going to be the film that is going to be in the halls, in the great annals of either rom-com or Beatle movies. When I mentioned how this film, you know, when it works, it really works... Those moments really are too few and far between because the flip side of all that is when this film really doesn't work, it really doesn't work and there are huge chunks of this movie where it was just not engaging with me as an audience member at all. I was bored, I was checking my watch, especially towards the end. And before I get too whiny, I do have to bring up one point. In the midst of all this, I do just want to take one second just to highlight my favourite part of this movie, because it does deserve mentioning, it does deserve highlighting, even though I can't really explain what it is, but there is one moment in this film, one moment that is so good, that is so unbelievably magical and captivating, that I was literally leaning forward on the edge of my seat. You know the expression, on the edge of, on the edge of your seat? That was me. I was on the edge of my seat, leaning towards the screen like a doe-eyed toddler, and I was bawling with tears. It was that affecting. It's so good that I'm reluctant to go into it in any detail at all, because I wouldn't want to take away from the literal magic of that scene. Like, when I was watching the film, I was keeping my eye on this minor, if slightly sinister, subplot. And when the scene played out whereby I thought it was wrapping it all up, I thought, oh, this is a bit of a waste of screen time. But then the film actually slows down for once and takes a drastic shift into the fantastical, the truly cinematic, and actually does something with the concept put forward to us. And what happens then is the most inspired scene in the film. Like, the concept and its execution in that one particular scene that I'm not going to go into any any detail of is literally worth the price of admission alone. And I would encourage you all to go see the film literally for that one scene towards the end of the film. Oh my god, it was so good. It, it, it was everything you would want from a film like this. And the fact that that scene is executed so well and delivers so much to Beatles fans only goes to highlight how how empty and kind of... Uh, malnourished the rest of the film is and I really cannot help but feel heavy-hearted that you know I wish the film had just been filled with far more of creative moments just like this again before I get too dark too depressing with this review I did want to point out that particular moment because this film isn't all bad I'm going to point out something soon that 
I had issues with, but this film overall is fun and is enjoyable. You know, I'll also go on the record as saying that this film made me laugh consistently. I've never denied Curtis's humour. Certain moments made me laugh very loud, inappropriately loud, in fact. Uh, including a moment when someone compares Fix You by Coldplay to Yesterday by The Beatles. And I'm not sure if that was the intentional joke on the level that I laughed at on the part of Curtis or not, but it certainly, <laughs> it certainly had me laughing. Uh, a couple of jokes fell flat here and there, of course, but I think there's always going to be a disconnect between the guy who wrote comedies in the 90s and a guy writing comedy in 2019, but whatever. Oh, and one thing I did like particularly is that a, a very large, uh, important segment of this film took place in Liverpool Lime Street Station, which is just a, a station that I'm very familiar with, because pretty much everyone important in my life at one point has lived in Liverpool. So me and that station go way back. Okay, so let's rewind a second. Let's talk about the plot, because it wasn't anything that we, or shall I say I, didn't guess in the first half. I mean, one part in particular had me laughing because I guessed it so accurately. There is literally a part where the hero, of course, is forced to choose between the music of the Beatles and the love of his life. And if you don't know which one he picks, you know, this isn't going to be a spoiler review, but if you don't know where that plot line goes, then you've never seen a Richard Curtis film before. It leans a lot more heavily towards rom-com and the rags-to-riches story than any exploration of what you as an audience member would do if you alone knew about the Beatles and their back catalogue and instead the high concept is used more as a framework and as a punchline so that Curtis can work his usual magic and predetermined beats and I really should not have been too shocked by this for those of you who aren't too sure about what this movie is it is most definitely a Beatles rom-com make no mistake and don't get me wrong either, I love a good rom-com when I see one. Pretty Woman, 500 Days of Summer, Bridget Jones's Diary, Annie Hall, I've run the whole gamut. And I can wholeheartedly say that when done well, the rom-com formula can produce classic cinema. Now, this isn't classic cinema, but it's a damn fine rom-com. And if you've got to go out on a date with your sweetheart this summer, then this is the film for you. Hands down. Easy. The problem here, though, is that rather like McCartney writing silly love songs, Richard Curtis can write silly love films in his sleep, and as the film goes on, not even the inspired performances from Leeds, Himesh Patel and Lily James can do much to, to hide the fact that the script is laden with hokey, cliché dialogue and contrived plot points and tropes so out of date that you would think that they were past parody date by now. Again, it sounds kind of harsh, because the final product is in fact a lot more charming and fun and enjoyable than I am making out during this portion of the review. But I am a film fan, and I don't like repetition and mediocrity, and the middle-of-the-road goals of such a project like this feels kind of beneath the involvement of the Beatles and their music in general. What's worse, though, is that this isn't just a rom-com. This is also the story of a guy rising to fame, as well as a Beatles Twilight Zone exploration. And it's in the balancing of these three that Curtis and Boyle collectively begin to struggle, and the plate spinning starts to falter. What Yesterday tries to do is balance the rags to Rich's storyline with the romance, along with the Beatles concept. And, since Richard Curtis is writing the script, you know that it's the romance that's going to get pushed to the forefront which ultimately means that the rags-to-riches element of the story feels both rushed and extremely derivative, and the Beatles stuff is just left woefully unexplored for such veterans of the art form. The mind-bogglingly formulaic rags-to-riches plotline was quite shocking to me, as I was sure that Danny Boyle surely could help find a more interesting take on this world and this kind of archetypal story. But no, it literally is just the generic, oh, I'm going to try and be an artist. Oh, the record label's keeping me down. Oh, I'm going to champion over the record label in some sort of contrived manner. We've seen it all before. Unfortunately for Curtis and the screenplay, Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga pretty much perfected this era's version of the Rags to Riches story with the fourth incarnation of A Star is Born. 
The seemingly unending narrative parallels between the two films is jarring, really. You know, there's the manipulative, money-hungry manager, the idea of selling out by altering one's image, changing a song based on input from what the record label says, choosing between fame and love. It is in there, it's, you know, it's in all of these scenes. And when when you see something that just isn't fresh and isn't exciting, you really do start to feel the movie's runtime. And at only 116 minutes, its length really shouldn't be an issue. It was obvious to me leaving the theatre that any Beatle fan with a shred of narrative zest and an interest in sci-fi or, or alternative realities would have, in their own head, in that very Star Wars The Last Jedi or Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom sort of way, have easily come up with 100 more interesting things that they themselves could have done with the concept of one man having the entire back catalogue of all Beatles songs. The concept and the way it played out in the film, it just went exactly the way I, I predicted. It, it is pretty restrained. Like, they don't do anything too crazy with the premise, like an Edgar Wright or an Alex Garland would do. We do have certain playful moments, but they're mostly done for one-off laughs. That lets us know that our hero Jack really isn't in Kansas anymore, but, as we mentioned, it really doesn't affect the plot all that much, bar that one minor subplot with that huge payoff that I mentioned earlier. Audiences leaving the film are likely going to be left asking the exact same questions that I knew I would be asking going into the theatre. You know, like, how has the lack of Beatles music not changed society more? How are more things not different? Uh, how can some things have been the same, despite the like the lack of presence of the Beatles? You know, there are several artists that are mentioned in the film that who, who were influenced by the Beatles themselves. Like, how do they exist? And there are other questions that I could raise that, but that would give elements of the plot away, which I don't particularly want to do. But do we get any answers to any of those questions or even like possible clues? No. Is the film interested in answering any of those questions? Hell no. But this isn't even the old J.J. Abrams mystery box bullshit. The film just isn't interested in the stuff that we as Beatle fans are going to be interested in. None of that logic or that world building is on the agenda. So if you're going for that pure movie experience or maybe even like a sci-fi film, you are also going to be purely disappointed. One thing that did stand out to me during all of those aforementioned rags to riches scenes though was that there was no attempt made by the film either to explore the idea of Jack trying to claim authorships of songs or the difficulties of like trying to be four different people with four different life experiences and passing their songs off as your own. You know, like we do get one scene where Jack fumbles his way through the backstory to Hey Jude, but then it, you know, that isn't taken to the next level where it's like, oh, but can he do the backstory of a John Lennon song and make it sound like it was one person's life, you know? And that is the film, really, with all its interesting elements. It'll it'll pitch something like that to you in a very minor way, and you'll want it to take it further, and it never does, and it leans back on the rom-com stuff. And also during these scenes, I couldn't help but feel like maybe it would be more of an interesting story if they took out the rom-com element, you know, make it not a rom-com and make it more of a drama, uh, maybe even more of a comedy drama, and you have it about four people who are all in a band together. They don't all have to be guys. You could have <laughs> you could have a group of four people in a band. They get transported to this alternative dimension, and they all together have to work out the authorship and ownership and the power of having the Beatles back catalogue. You know, it would probably be a bit, be a, be a bit darker and a bit more financially risky, but I think it'd be a lot more entertaining. You know, would they stay the course of history? Would would they each pick one Beatle? Who would take ownership of what songs? Would they betray each other? And like, you know, the guy who took on the role of Ringo turns around and goes, oh, well, I've written The Long and Winding Road. You know, there's so much you could do there. And like I say, the film just isn't interested. The film presses on with the romantic subplot, with the rags to riches stuff. And if that's something that sounds like it's going to frustrate you, Again, don't go see this film because every time you think of something interesting, it's just, it, it's just going to slap you in the face and go, no, we're doing the lovey-dovey things now. Sit down and shut up and enjoy it. And the examples don't stop there. Uh, another element I found to be a wasted opportunity was the fact that there was no consequence or plot point based around Jack trying to get back to his own reality. You know, his world and the world without the Beatles is so similar that he has everything he needs. You know, there is no conflict in that. The only things that are different are essentially are the fact that 
cigarettes, Coca-Cola and Oasis are no longer exist in the world, as well as a hilarious little stinger joke at the end about a famous novel series. But let me say now, it's never going to get Black Mirror or Twilight Zone with its thought process or its machinations. Okay, I can't stress that enough. And that's going to be why the film was a bit of a letdown for me. At the, you know, at the risk of sounding horribly patronising, the majority of my issues with this film came down to the fact that this story didn't have to be specifically about the Beatles. This is just the story of, what if you had another chance at life if you suddenly knew a secret that everyone else had suddenly forgotten about? It's just one of those with great power comes great responsibility type stories. It really could have been anything else or anyone else's music. I mean, it didn't have anything to do with the Beatles besides him playing the songs. Yes, we got little snippets of him trying to push original Beatle album cover concepts and album titles, but there was no consequence of him creating albums full of songs from different Beatle albums of different e eras. There was no consequence for songs written by the Beatles in the 1960s for rock and roll crowds being released in the modern day. There was no talk about different production styles uh, or you know how the songs would be made for a modern audience. There was no point in which he ran out of Beatles songs and had to come up with new ones. Like again, they they tease him trying to sneak in some of his own compositions, but they get shot down in production. But him having to rest on his own laurels for the third act never really kind of happens. Everything really goes very smoothly indeed for his music career actually in this film. So there's just no conflict at all really for, uh, that arises from him being this virtuoso songwriter. Again, there are a few hints and teases that we could go sort of down a miracle on 34th Street or miracle on Abbey Road, should I say, whereby he has to like prove that he wrote them and not the Beatles or something. And we do see him struggle, try to remember all of the words and chords to every Beatles song ever briefly. But again, anything more interesting than that is going to get in the way of Curtis making the big books and the rom-com angle. So it's abandoned. Though, I've been going on about how this is, is going to pander to Beatles fans. I'm not really sure if it's going to win any over any new fans to the Beatles either. I mean, besides all of the Ed Sheeran shit, and don't worry, we are going to get onto the Ed Sheeran shit shortly, as well as the constant use of modern pop tribe dribble, the film doesn't make any attempt to show us, the audience, why the music of the Beatles is so good in the first place. Yes, a couple of characters mention how good the Beatles music is, and their songs are, but the film relies so much on the audience already having a pre-established connection with the music itself that, you know, hearing the music for the first time and experiencing it properly is routinely skipped over. There are several moments in the film that would have benefited greatly and would have been much more effective in why the music of the Beatles is so powerful by playing more of the songs in their entirety. I know it sounds indulgent and I know it would have added to the runtime and lots of people and lots of people in that alternative reality would probably complain about the lengthy songs and stuff like that. But are you also telling me that Danny Boyle also can't trim down a script to fit in stuff like that? I'm sure he could. I mean, it almost makes me borderline wish it was more of a, a jukebox type of film, which I know is borderline heresy. But there are moments like the performance of yesterday earlier on in the film that really work because we get to hear it for the first time with the characters. And it's the first Beatles song we hear in the, in the fucking movie. And he plays quite a chunk of it. And it's all the more powerful because of it. And then every other song we hear later is pretty much just a chorus and a verse and maybe a second chorus of a song that we know. And that's all you're going to get. That's all she wrote, Goodnight Vienna. Though I will admit right now that it is quite cosmically clever that the song that supposedly came to McCartney in a dream in our world, you know, aka the song that essentially came out of nowhere, is the same song that sparks the plot of this film. You know, it is him playing Yesterday for his friends uh, in like a kind of uh, pub beer garden uh, starts off the whole plot, which which is, is, is very fun. Speaking of songs, uh, the choices were oddly McCartney heavy. Not sure whether this is because Macca is still one of the most influential men in the media ever, and, he's, and he is alive, or, and this might be a bit salty for some, that the majority of the real cultural staple hits of the Beatles are songs sung and performed by Paul McCartney. Like, yeah, we did get the extended sequence with In My Life, as well as snippets of She Loves You and I Want to Hold Your Hand, which in itself is half Macca anyway. The film is still absolutely dominated with Paul tunes. 
Hey Jude, I saw her standing there, the long and winding road, back in the USSR, and obviously the title track itself, the song that starts the whole thing off. Himesh Patel as our lead Jack Malik is very likeable indeed. The fact that it was actually him singing was very cool, and I found him playing to be oddly enjoyable despite my previous misgivings. And he, I did, it, it did feel like a very real performance in the fact that I did believe that it was him doing everything. I did believe that he could play all of these songs and remember them. So well done there. Though the issue I had is that there is a fundamental disconnect between him and the main storyline. Sadly, I never believed his character as a Beatles fan whatsoever. Not saying Patel is a bad actor, just that the script and the visuals together do nothing to sell me that he was much of a Beatles fan before the whole magic slash sci-fi event happens in the first place. Since the first act spends 100% of the time focusing on the romantic and rags-to-riches threads, we never get a chance to see how much of a Beatles fan Jack Malik is. And, you know, part of that is, you know, they, they don't want the first Beatles song to be in the film until Jack plays the Beatles for his friend and plays Yesterday. There's an obvious effect that they're achieving there. But the fact that we don't hear any Beatle music or see any Beatle memorabilia really in the first act you know, in, in Jack's life, in Jack's room, on a t-shirt or something, just makes me feel like mm, he's not a real Beatle fan. Because I don't know many Beatle fans that are obsessed enough to know every single Beatles song, chords and words off the top of their head, wouldn't wear the merch, wouldn't have a room that has some indication of it, you know? It's, the visual storytelling as well as the script just don't back up how much of a Beatles fan he is. And I don't think there was nowhere near enough effort put in to distinguish him from any old Tom, Dick or Ringo who just learn all the chords. And, like I say, when he is quizzed on the backstory of Hey Jude, yeah, it's funny for us Beatle fans here in the real world, but it makes no sense, uh, logically in-world, that he wouldn't have the same encyclopedic knowledge of all of this stuff. I mean, it's the fucking backstory to Hey Jude, and seeing as how much of his life now depends on it, it's ridiculous that he wouldn't have that story ready to go and having it sounding natural as fuck. Jack is a pretty good protagonist, but... You know, mostly for the romance and the rags to riches crowd who might just you know have a passing knowledge of the Beatles music, but I doubt Jack is you know gonna fulfil any of the Beatles fans' desires, and I don't think he'd be able to handle a Beatles chat on this podcast. I'll tell you that. Lily James was delightful as always as Ellie, who in an odd parallel with my life gave the portrayal of a young, sexy school teacher who may be putting too much of her soul into snotty little kids. And that whole theme hit a little too close to home, shall we say. It was pretty hilarious also to see two of the Kumars from number 42 back on the big screen as Jack's parents. Though their depiction here is more in the vein of the comic bumbling parental figure than, say, the tragically stern ones we get in a film like Bohemian Rhapsody. And since we don't get any real sense of arc with the parents, you know, like them ignoring him and not believing in him doesn't really affect the plot in any way. And as a result, they do feel like dead weight since they don't have that kind of, oh son, thank you, you really proved us wrong kind of scene. It it just doesn't happen. Oh, and of course, as I predicted, there was indeed a stock comedy side character named Rocky, because of course he's called that. And uh, he, he was a little bit stale, actually. He was not... It was probably one of the worst Richard Curtis side characters, comedic relief characters we've ever had, actually. It was most of his jokes that were the bum notes, except for one epic line when he told Ed Sheeran about how he should leave rap to black people. <laughs> oh yeah, Ed Sheeran, I almost forgot. He is a major fucking player, not only in this film, but in the universe of this film. Ed Sheeran is apparently so unique and good that he exists in a world that the Beatles never existed in, and he remains entirely unchanged. Fucking bollocks, right? I mean, not not only that, but he's also admitted that the Beatles were one of his major influences, so I don't know how that works. And it's not like in Game of Thrones, where he has an ungodly cameo that, that thankfully gets him violently killed off-screen. Sheeran here is forced to act in lengthy, minute-long scenes that are as lame and cringeworthy as if Paul or Ringo themselves had had to have done it. There are two, count them, two extended Ed Sheeran sequences. The first of which is essentially 15 minutes of the whole fucking centre of the movie, 
where Ed Sheeran happened chances to hear Jack play one of his songs, and in an intentionally poignant parallel with his own plucking from obscurity by Taylor Swift, Ed takes our protagonist on tour with him as his opening act. Um, actually, it's probably not as poignant as I think, because actually this role was eventually meant to go to Chris Martin, but I digress. Then, after a few gigs, Ed Sheeran actually invites Jack, or challenges him, to write a song off the top of his head, and Ed, in typical fashion, writes a proper 10-minute Ed Sheeran three-chord rocker, and Jack then comes out with The Long and Winding Road. Big laugh moment, and Ed kind of goes off in a huff, which later leads to another scene where Ed convinces Jack and the record label to change Hey Jude to Hey Dude. And I was thinking, oh wow, they are going to make Ed Sheeran the villain in all of this for the whole third act. That would be really bold. It would be brave as fuck, in fact. And just like everything else in this movie, they cop out completely, leaving me to wonder what, what, like, what was the whole point of this Ed Sheeran thing? Was it just so that they could get a contemporary big rock star in it for the kitsch humour value of it? I mean, his acting is atrocious. Like, oh my God, Ed, you know, you've been in several things now. Stick to the songwriting, mate. You're really good at that. But rather than taking the character to a more interesting place, like it really would have been fantastic to see him as the villain. The film just plays it safe and makes sure that Ed Sheeran is always presented in the best possible light. This also naturally brings me on to the manager, played by Kate McKinnon. Honestly, after seeing The Spy Who Dumped Me, a film which is way better than it actually deserves to be. I was most looking forward to McKinnon's role in this movie, and sadly, she was probably the most disappointing. Uh, her character quirk, if you can call it that, apart from being the most like, generic version of a manager type ever, is that she like almost consistently breaks the fourth wall by speaking to people as if she's aware of you know all of these evil manager tropes and that she's living that lifestyle. Like she makes no uh, qualms with people and I guess it's for humour I'm not sure how it's supposed to be taken within the world like for example she'll say yeah I love you but you're also just a product for me to exploit ha 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 like it's that blatant and just the lack of originality in the way that this evil manager arc plays out and the way she just kind of is left screaming his name it just starts to grate it just really starts to grate it is the weakest element of the film entirely Speaking of weak elements of the film, we come to a name that I would usually, well, I would have guessed I would have brought up first, and yet here we are at the arse end of the review. And the reason that I'm only mentioning the efforts of Danny Boyle now, the, the director, is purely because there really wasn't all that much of a, of a directorial stamp on this movie. Yeah, there are several sequences and montages that are all very effective and classic Boyle, but the stock rom-com aesthetic leaves little wiggle room, and a director like Boyle seems wasted with such a visually restrictive script. Like, if you could have gone you know, full-on balmy with this, then maybe it could have brought new life to the script, but apart from a few standout moments, like I say, there really doesn't feel like a need to have such a prestige director attached to this product. Like... Can you name a Richard Curtis director off the top of your head that isn't also Richard Curtis? No, you can't. The, the directors of, the, of those projects are never the, the focus. And having Boyle take the helm here seems so needless, especially since he's you know, dropped out of directing James Bond 25. In fact, his direction is almost intrusive on some parts. Like, th th this is meant to be very plainly shot. It's a rom-com. And then he just, like, chucks in all these random Dutch angles on a scene where characters are just walking from one end of a festival to another. Like, normally Dutch angles are meant to denote that something strange has occurred, so maybe that would happen after the magical beetle event or something or something like that. But no, it just happens at random, and it's like, what, Danny, what What are you doing? Are you, are you just trying to remind us that this is a Danny Boyle film when it really isn't? So, yeah, overall thoughts, folks. Uh, yeah... I like it. I do recommend it. That doesn't necessarily mean I think it's any particularly good. Um, it is what it is, you know. Uh, you are going to get enough out of a kick out of, out of all of the separate elements, giving you a little something, as opposed to maybe all of the individual elements giving you a double hit of the rom-com stuff, or the rags to riches stuff, or the Beatles stuff. Like, it's not going to satisfy everyone, but it's going to please everyone enough. 
The only thing I really can say is that this is a film that lacks focus. Rather like its protagonist Jack at the start, it is pretty aimless and unsure of what part of which path to go down. You know, it really should have focused on either being a rom-com, a Beatles sci-fi type movie, or a rags to riches story, because none of the elements are achieved with the deft grace that I know that Danny Ball can achieve those types of stories. It's three movies crammed into one, when really he, they, they, there's probably only room for two at most here. The acting is brilliant, the songs are performed with a real zest and life, like the Beatles covers in this movie really are, are worth seeing, and of course that there is that one standout scene that I will say, once again, alone is worth price of admission, but I, I don't see me going back to watch yesterday m <laughs> ever again really, I, I'm, I'm glad I saw this in the cinema, I'm glad I, I got to see it with quite a large audience, you know, there was lots of audience interaction with this movie, everyone else seemed to be loving it. And I know people who are less cynical and analytical than me will be able to enjoy what this movie is so knowingly offering. But, you know, to the deep cut, deep dive Beatle fan, is it going to be that nourishing? No, it really isn't. So as Joe Everyman, I give this film, you know, a, a solid seven. As a Beatle fan, uh, and possibly as a, a fan of serious and complex and intellectual cinema... I'd probably only give it a 5 or a 6 out of 10. Like, it, it's it's average, it's painfully average, um, it's, it's woefully unremarkable, except for that one moment. And because of that one scene, and because of everything that, that, that the whole film builds up to, and, and everything needed to set up that little moment, I am going to give it the benefit of the doubt, and give the film where credit is due. It's just a shame that there is so obviously a better film or a better two films or even a better three films somewhere found within the script of yesterday. And I want to end my review with saying once again, I think this should have just been on TV. I think if Richard Curtis had taken this to Netflix or Amazon or Hulu or HBO or, or even the BBC and asked for a shit ton of money, I think they would have thrown it at a project like this. Being able to see our hero Jack live in this no Beatle world for an extended period of time and come across all the challenges and the differences and going deep into the lore and exploring this vast canvas that they've set up would be brilliantly appropriate for a TV adaptation and the restriction of a 90 minute or two hour script really constrains this idea. And it only highlights the fact that TV is going to be the medium of the future for telling high concept stories in this detailed way. Again, I do feel sorry for the fact that audiences are going to leave this film with better ideas for directions that this film could have gone. I don't feel like anyone's going to be totally satisfied with the, the narrative here. But if there is a positive to, to end this on, I would say that you know, hopefully this film inspires similar takes on other different artists' material. You know, we don't need to keep having Bohemian Rhapsody and Rocket Man and the you know, we've got we've got an upcoming David Bowie one, I am sure. We don't need all these biopics. Maybe we can do something different with the music of these great artists that aren't just biopics and make more films like yesterday. So if yesterday does as well as it hopes to, if it rekindles that 90s box office glory, then maybe it'll start a wave of rock and roll, semi-jukebox, semi-rom-com drama films. Who knows? So yeah, that was my review of yesterday, folks. <laughs> it started out much more positively when I first got back. Genuinely, I've sat down for about half an hour, an hour tops, and I've just been ruminating over this film. I've been sipping my tea, and oh. It's a good thing I didn't record it the moment I got back because if I if I had I feel like I would have been cringing now and I would have been groaning that I would have to re-record it because oh I did get tricked by those rom-com tropes those those feel good moments that do leave you with that big smile on your face but it doesn't always last does it Thank you all so much for listening I hope you've enjoyed this rather impromptu episode of the show it's been fun to have a film review about a film that's so active within the cultural conversation at the moment. Thank you, obviously, to my Patreon supporters who have funded this entire episode. This episode would not have been possible without them. I cannot express my gratitude enough. If you want to join them, then please follow our Patreon. The link is down below. It's the best way to help keep the show free, keep it ad-free, help keep the lights running. 
And if you're thinking of saying well done, you want to show a little sign of, of gratitude, maybe you want to buy me a beer or, or a cup of coffee, then our Patreon is the best place to do that. I doubt you're going to bump into me in the real world. Email me your thoughts on yesterday, the Danny Boyle film from 2019. Did you agree with my analysis of this film? What did you think of the scene? You know the one I'm on about. Email us at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. What's coming up in the future? Obviously, we've got our Wings Over Europe slash Wings Over Groningen episode that I've been talking about that I mentioned on our last episode. That one still is in editing, but I knew that I could whip this one up and deliver it much quicker than that. The Wings Over Europe slash Groningen episode is spiralling rapidly out of control into one of those other big, long, Paul or Nothing episode that takes far too long to edit and release. And then after that, we're going to have Pipes of Peace Part 1, where we look into the backstory and part two where me and my mystery guests are going to be going through all of the albums thank you all so much for listening folks i hope you've enjoyed this episode of paul or nothing i've been your host sam wiles peace and love peace and love play us out denny <laughs>